Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Let's move on. Uh, anyway, we got a lot going on, a lot to talk about today. Our first topic, a, a very serious one, and that is what's happening in the South China Sea between the Philippines and the PRC. The Philippines, again, is calling on Beijing to stop provocative actions. This comes after uh, two near collisions between Chinese and Filipino ships last week, and it, it's taken place in, near a place called the Second Thomas Shoal. This never ends, this story, it seems, and it's been escalating in recent years, Steve. Yeah, and, and, and we are in a real serious situation that's basically being dictated in part by Mother Nature. And what's happened is there's all of these contesting claims in the South China Sea, which are extremely valuable as to who controls which territory because of fishing, because of uh, the minerals that, that are under the sea. Um, China has basically claimed all of the, Chow- the South China Sea. It has been found that that claim is not valid um, by international courts. Uh, Of course, China has ignored that. And what happened a couple decades ago is that the Philippines grounded an old World War II era ship on one of these reefs to then be able to station Marines on it and claim this and keep China from claiming it. So this is about 25 years ago. That ship is now falling apart. And the next typhoon that comes through could wipe that ship out. And so if that happens, the fear is China's now going to come in and take even more claims in the South China Sea. Philippines is trying to reinforce this ship, bring in supplies, bring in, you know, construction material. And the Chinese are getting more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive, blocking that from happening. It's gotten to the point where President Biden has warned China that any attack on a Filipino aircraft vessel or armed forces will invoke the U.S.'s mutual defense treaty with the Philippines. So this is as as dangerous an, a time as we've had in the South China Sea. I was going to ask you just that. I mean, as you said, Biden reiterated his, in quotes, ironclad defense commitment to the Philippines. What does that potentially mean? What does that look like? How far does this escalate? Well, I mean, part of that is going to be how far is China going to take it? This this mutual defense treaty goes back to 1951, you know, when the Philippines, um, you know, right after World War II, where the U.S. and uh, the Philippines became extraordinarily close allies. Um, and the question becomes, what is, if you want to, you know, what is an attack? You know, the the Chinese have used lasers against the Philippine vessels trying um, to go to the to the shoal to to get to their sailors and and Marines who are living there. They've used water cannons. They're now actually taking boats and blocking the Philippines from getting there. Um, Now, if it goes further than that, if they try and ram one of these vessels, if they try and certainly use use uh, artillery against this, then we are in a really dangerous place. And U.S.-China relations, of course, are not great right now. And China has refused over the last you know, year or so to even talk to the U.S. military. So mm. there's no communications going on between Washington and Beijing when it mm. comes to their militaries. So how would something get de-escalated if right. it moves up? It's really dangerous Steve, right it seems like the, the challenge as uh, – 
we've seen this actually over decades, are the microaggressions. It's the coming too close to the ship or in the case of the flying in front of American aircraft in a dangerous way. It's it's never uh, launching a missile at somebody. It's all these sort of mm-hmm. microaggressions uh, pushing boundaries further and further. How do we – or how does the U.S. Uh, – and, and I know you're not behind closed doors with the military mm-hmm. planning, but – you know. How do you draw that line in the in the literal and figurative sand of enough is enough? Well, I think that's what President Biden has tried to do right now. I mean, you know, we have a new Philippines administration. So, you know, the, the former administration um, took a much softer approach. Duterte took a much softer approach. Invited uh, the to Chinese China. to come in, right? Uh, yeah. President Marcos has gone 180 the other way, yeah. um, wants to, to reassert those claims, wants the U.S. to be much closer militarily to the Philippines. Um, and so these microaggressions are, are becoming more and more intense from the Chinese. It might be because of the new Philippine government. It might be because they know that this ship, the Sierra Madre, is about to sink um, and that they can then become much more aggressive and assert this claim. And so it's really something that needs to get watched. Well, look at the Chinese reaction. The foreign ministry said this week the U.S. had, quote, no right to get involved in a problem between China and the Philippines. Clearly, the Chinese are not backing down. How far will they escalate proceedings? That's the, that is why this is such a tense situation. And everything mm. that's going on, obviously, you've got two hot wars uh, in, the, in, in Ukraine from the Russian invasion. Which you've is got, a handy distraction for the Chinese. Oh, wow. And you've got Palestine and Israel. And now you, you have this. And so the U.S. U.S. is stretched. Mm. And so when you've got the U.S. stretched, you've got the Philippines um, becoming more assertive and maybe the Chinese and you've got the Sierra Madre about to you know, fall apart. Now is a really bad time for this to be happening yeah. for the U.S. and the Philippines. Let's uh, stay with our China theme. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, opened up a week-long trip to China this past Monday with assurances that his state will be a partner on climate issues uh, no matter what happens in the U.S. presidential election next year, etc. So largely talks based on climate themes discussions. Uh, also uh, had a discussion at the University of Hong Kong. They're talking about how they can rely on California, etc. This is a – first of all, it's a weird time for a state governor to be come, going to China uh, not that climate change isn't important, but it's just – it seemed to me it would be an odd odd timing on this. Did, did, am I not seeing something here? Well, part of what might explain the timing is remember APEC is being hosted in the United States, in the state of California. Next week, yeah. Next month. Or next month. And me, yeah. this is a good time for mm. California to be making those inroads with China because – Everybody would like to see, certainly the President Biden and President Xi to meet there. Mm. So this is partially maybe in the lead up to that. It's partially in that, look, this is just good substantive policy for China and California. The U.S. and China need to work together on climate. California is the fifth largest economy in Mm. the world. California is very proactive and progressive on climate, you know, laws, regulations, policies, investments. So having the sea and and Newsom meet makes perfect sense in that regard as well. Hmm. Um, And look, you know, Governor Newsom is on a short list of people who you'd predict will be president one day. I mean, he's on that list if you say who's possible. And so maybe the Chinese want to get to know and build a relationship with somebody who may be president one day. And so all of those things make this meeting 
to have a lot of sense. And you could also, if you want to throw in one other thing, it might be that look, the U.S. and in 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 China at the national level, at the C Biden level, um, is very strained right now. And so, if you can find a way to work around that and work with the U.S. and something that's of mutual benefit, that also makes sense from the Chinese perspective. Right. Well, that's what I was going hmm. to say. It does seem very smart economic pa- uh, policy from California on this one, and not new, by the way. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, Jerry Brown did it as a Democrat. Arnold Schwarzenegger did it as a Republican. Almost as if you've got the Californians flexing their economic muscles and saying, whatever you're doing in Washington, you know, the instability, we're moving ahead with our policies with China. Would that be fair? Okay, well, every state does this. So, so it, but it, they're uh, not the fifth biggest economy in the world. Only right, California now, is. California is very different. I mean, I remember I, I worked with the state of Kentucky when they did a trade mission to Taiwan about 10 years ago, and that's when I became a Kentucky colonel. So you can refer to me as Colonel Oaken now. But, uh, <laughs> How many names do you want, Steve? How many names do I'm you want? I'm just going to call you Colonel Sanders. And yeah. Anyway, so, but, but, but so states do this. He's not finger-licking good. I'll tell you. States do this. I remember we hosted Terry McAuliffe when he was governor of Virginia coming to Singapore. So this is what states do. California, of course, is the most important state from an economic perspective, a trade mm. perspective, an investment perspective, and absolutely from a climate perspective. China's the most important country for, for California and in that regard. So makes perfect sense. This isn't anything new. I think, obviously, in this era of such heightened U.S.-China tensions, um, this is a, a, it makes it stand out even more, but not new. <laughs> I'm still, still thinking about I'm a finger licking good idea. No, I'm still thinking about Colonel Sanders sitting across Colonel from me. Oaken. Colonel You went on about my white T-shirt. If you're not in a white suit in this studio next week, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'll see if I can find my actual proclamation signed by the governor. I, I'll, I'll I would like in. to I'll see that. that Let's week. put that on social media. Okay. Okay. Make sure you give credit to whoever uh, deserves it. Okay. All right. The, uh, the U.S. House finally has a speaker after several weeks of not having a speaker. This, of course, is important. Important to get legislation started in the in the U.S. congressional uh, flow of of starting um, uh, bills and laws and things that get considered uh, by both houses of Congress. Uh, Mike Johnson, a representative, Mike Johnson was finally elected. He's from Louisiana, quite conservative. He's gotten Donald Trump's approval. Uh, he is against uh, many uh, sort of social reforms, including uh, women's right to choose and things like that. Uh, it, it is um, it's an interesting moment because he got the thumbs up from his caucus, but he is still a very controversial person, including uh, being in charge of of uh, trying to get the election overturned in uh, last election cycle. Uh, is this is he going to be an effective leader? How, what is this going to look like, Steve? Oh, look, I mean, I think the Republicans have taken an extraordinary risk in selecting a speaker that no one, literally no one knew anything about. This is a, a, a person who had barely been in Congress. He's He's got the least experience going into being a speaker in 140 years. Why is that important to have that experience? Well, you, it, it is, look, you, when you are the Speaker of the House, you're effectively running Congress, and it is an extraordinarily mm. complex uh, organism, right, mm. to run, and you have no experience doing that. He was never in leadership. 
he had never met Mitch McConnell, who he is now equal to, and Mitch McConnell being the, the Senate majority leader. Um, he'd only met President Biden once, and that was at the White House when they celebrated uh, LSU, Louisiana State University's women's basketball team, winning a championship. So he's got no relationships. He's got no experience. And there are going to be many, many things that he has said being so conservative that the Democrats are going to be able to use against the Republicans uh, in the 2024 election, both in House seats and in the in the presidential election. So the Republicans took a huge gamble. They presumed they had no other choice. He's their fifth string speaker, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't the A team or the B team. We're on, we're on the E team now. Mm-hmm. And it is going to have real political issues, but it is going to have real substantive issues is Ukraine going to continue to get the support from the United States? Will he be able to get a, a, a bill to get Israel the assistance it needs in its war? So it's huge foreign policy implications, huge domestic political implications, and the Republicans going this route are taking a huge risk. And that's the point. We have a guest in the studio today, an American lady called Beth, and I can see her eye-rolling on the behalf of all of us because this has been going on for weeks. The partisan infighting, it does get repetitive. It does get tedious from the outside looking in. What does this mean now for Asia and the region? Beth, what do you – sorry, Beth. I'm going to give you one word or two words here. Oh, goodness. You're, Hello. You're a, you're a, <laughs> a, a, a dispassionate observer. Well, yes. To Steve's point, who is this guy and where the heck did he come from? Um, you know, as a, a female American, he is personal. You know, his policies are against a lot of what I personally stand for. Having just also moved from California, um, he's extremely conservative and I am definitely concerned. Right. So <laughs> add that to the inertia. What does it mean for uh, best point? What does it mean for Asia, Singapore? Well, certainly what it means, let's go for what it means from a foreign policy yeah. perspective. So right now, you know, President Biden has, has put forth funding for, that ties together funding for Ukraine, funding for Israel, funding for Taiwan, and funding for the, the reinforcing the southern border in the United States. Uh, if he says, I'm not going to bring that to the floor. We are going to take that out and we're going to do these one by one. And yes, I'm in favor of giving Israel funding, but no, I'm not in favor of giving Ukraine funding. Well, if the U.S. can't fund Ukraine, Mm. what is that going to mean from a foreign policy perspective? What signal does that send to the Chinese about the commitment the United States is going to have? He's also very hardline on China, and so you you want to see some type of relationship between the U.S. and China, and you have C coming to to California maybe next week. What does it mean for that? What does it mean if mm-hmm. the the House continues to be dysfunctional and we can't get any legislation through? You know, in this you know era of of the poly crisis, so it is just extraordinarily. Uh, concerning to see that the Republicans have not been able to figure out yet how to govern, and that is going to have implications globally. And if you want a a last piece from a a global economic perspective, the the U.S. government will shut down on November 17th unless funding bills are passed through the House. That is what got McCarthy ousted, Mm. which started this dumpster fire that we're still trying to put out three weeks later. And if the if the U.S. government shuts down now, what is that going to mean for the global economy? And that's going to impact Singapore, too. 
Fascinating. Is that all, Steve? Really? <laughs> Can't you come up with more important, uh, you know, polycrisis yeah, It's uh, a dumpster elements? fire. I like that. <laughs> it's a dumpster fire. All right. We will keep our eyes on and see what the, the representative comes up with uh, in his new role. Now, it was the picture that none of us can unsee no. ever again. No. And that was uh, AirAsia Chief Tony Fernandez getting a massage topless in a boardroom. Uh, while he was on a conference call with his senior leadership. This, of course, was a, a couple of weeks back. He had had a stressful week, in quotes, um, and while he was doing his online call, uh, decided to get a shirtless yeah. massage. I was on a cruise ship when I saw it, and I got seasick. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the ocean was perfectly flat. <laughs> perfectly flat, South China Sea. I got seasick. <laughs> Let me tell you. Steve, uh, executive presence comes to mind. Tony Fernandez is no stranger to uh, controversial antics. Uh, he has done uh, uh, similar things before, but never kind of to this level. Where where are we at with a guy that just keeps – does he just want to be getting in the limelight? Is, is this, Or is he distracting people from corporate problems or what? Uh, take it for his, his word. He thinks this is the right way to manage a company. And I think it is not the right way to manage a company. And I think this speaks a lot, not only to this incident, but you then have to question, well, how is the company actually being run? If, if somebody, right, will, so he, his claim is that he came in and off an 18 hour flight. His mm. shoulder was bothering him. Um, the, Asia CEO, the Air Asia CEO of Indonesia, who is a woman, suggested he get a massage. Um, and so they bring in a masseuse and he takes off his shirt in front of everybody mm. and takes a photo of it and puts it on LinkedIn. <laughs> mm. And so the question then becomes, one, why does he think this is appropriate? Mm. Two, once you get the backlash... <laughs> Why don't you apologize? And I really didn't see that he had any apology. So I don't know how much self-awareness there is here. His comms person said that everyone on the call, I think there were you know more than five or six people on the call, everyone was asked if they would be okay with it, if they would be all right if he had a shirtless massage. And they apparently all said yes. Isn't that a huge surprise to you? No, it's not a surprise <laughs> where the CEO, the three hundred million dollar CEO, right, a, a re, yeah, yeah, he's, he's fifty times worth more than Neil, right? He's he's three hundred million, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. you have uh, your boss, and they say, "Hey, I want to do this. What do you think? What are they going to say? No, he he does not understand the the power dynamic. Apparently, apparently, and, and uh, yeah, well, apparently, apparently that there aren't the people who feel empowered to say, you know what, maybe this isn't." A good idea. And and so I think it also speaks to the work culture there. And then not apologizing in any really significant way that I've been able to find also leads to me a question of what is the management structure and mm. and uh, that 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 people can go to him and say hey you know what this was wrong I've only put a shirt on because Beth is here I don't <laughs> see what the big deal is to be honest no it's ridiculous of course it's ridiculous and the cynical side of me you mentioned his wealth there 300 million but it's actually halved in the last decade and just a couple of months ago he sold Queen's Park Rangers the English football club that he owned so he's divesting away some of his assets is this a desperate attempt to stay relevant Steve no I mean I think again I just think this is he thought it was the right thing to do and then when he when there was the huge public backlash um then what he did was he took down the post on LinkedIn so obviously you could find it it's not on his his page anymore he took down the post and his explanation was that you can never really explain the thought process behind a post <laughs> so I deleted it 
I didn't mean to offend anyone. Right. That's the I'm sorry if I offended you, which is not an apology. Yeah. Mm. And a more serious point, it, it, it says something about the patriarchal culture that still exists in certain parts of the world, particularly yeah. Southeast Asia, where no one is going to stand up to a male boss and say, we don't want to see your nipples. Well, and, he's, <laughs> and he said, you know, quote, gotta love Indonesia and AirAsia culture that I can have a massage and do a management meeting at the same time. And, you know, look, you know, Malaysian culture and Indonesian culture, two of the most conservative cultures in Asia, in Southeast Asia for sure, and how he thought this was going to be appropriate is just, it's mind-boggling. Now, I do, I, I have to give the other side, okay, right? I mean, one of the reactions I saw on social media said, I applaud this brave man for being an agent of change in the body positivity movement. <laughs> who said that? We should celebrate all body shapes and sizes. Uh, who, who said that? I think that might have been Tung yeah, okay, I was going to say. Was that an agent of change or an aging of change? I don't know. He's 59 years old. So, I think that was on The Onion or somewhere. Well, let's put it this way. He's no Brad Pitt when it comes to no, uh, you know six-packs. Yeah, gravel pits, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> gravel pits. Uh, yes. And, and, that, like, and, and where does he close it out with? So his latest LinkedIn post, uh, he has a picture of an outdoor barbecue mm. where he's thanking his employees for arranging this for him for uh, because of after, quote unquote, all the attention he has received in the last couple oh, of days. Oh, isn't that nice? Uh, and and so, they all get in the hot tub later on. We, won't, we don't know what they were wearing. But <laughs> yes. Anyway. All right, Steve, we got to leave it there. Thanks again, as always, and we'll catch up with you next week. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.